Good morning and welcome to the Football Digest uh, uh, weekly podcast. Uh, thanks so much indeed for joining us this week. I'm in esteemed company again with uh, my colleague, Chief Sports Writer of the Daily Mirror, Andy Dunn, Jeremy Cross, Chief Sports Writer of uh, the Daily Star, and Matt Dunn, who, for those of you who are watching the show rather than just listening, well, maybe we should just rechristen him Magnum PI. What a wonderful shirt, Matt, brighten up in our, brighten up our days. Yeah, it makes me think of that. But what was the Fantasy Island, the plane, the plane? But um, <laughs> um, a wonderful um, shot of summer and one to get us thinking about summer holidays. Um, anyway, but no, it's uh, it's nice to see you all. And uh, obviously we're on international duty, all of us going to Wembley uh, tonight. So looking forward to that as England begin their World Cup campaign. Um, but also, also look back upon sort of the, the the past week of of action, which was again defining for for Manchester United and potentially also for Chelsea moving forward. Um, so, guys, let's let's you know kick off uh, with, with some of that before we sort of maybe talk England and have a little look at sort of you know a few, a few Frank Worthington memories um, uh, as well. Very sad passing of of that. Um, uh, of uh, of a really great great player this week. Um, we, we're incredibly sad to see that. But let's look at really the FA Cup fallout and perhaps also another shot at silverware gone. But are they going to Solskjaer? Uh, uh, Andy, you, you and I were at Leicester yeah. on Sunday, weren't we? At the King Power, and basically, I do have to say, it didn't feel a bit lukewarm it was United crashed out without a whimper really and it, it felt like some you know the criticism afterwards was far greater than the, the, the kind of the passion yeah. shown by United in, during the game completely completely agree absolutely agree I mean it, you know the sort of the tone was set when you got there and you got the team sheets you know and and you know okay United have played on Thursday night but this was the FA Cup you know this is the FA Cup quarter final the one game from as they are now from Wembley um, you know they haven't won a they haven't won a trophy since um, 2017. Yeah, and and you know and then you've got the team sheet and you know you see Tellers at left back when Luke Shaw has been in the absolute form of his life and you see no Bruno Fernandez and you're just looking at it thinking you know yeah okay we know they played Thursday nights but if they get tired then take them off they're going away on an international break. Um, the FA Cup must, you know, surely it still means everything to a club like Manchester United. And you got the impression that it didn't. And then that set the tone for the game because for the first half, certainly, and for most of the second half, even after he made the four substitutions, you know, they started the game as though it was anything but an FA Cup quarterfinal. You know, they started the game as though it was a kickabout. You know, they were so far off the pace for that. Um, sorry, um, Fred was so far off the pace. Harry Maguire was so far off the pace. They started the game as though, you know, so lax. And that's why, as you say, you got the feeling that, that there was no urgency, no, mm. there was no jeopardy, there was no do or die. It's like, you know, and then you start thinking to yourself, well, you know, you, you then allow yourself to think of the broader issues. You know, they, probably two days previously, they'd, they'd, okay, they got through in Milan. They'd also announced a, a new shirt sponsor, you know, for £47 million a year. And then you start thinking, well, you know, that might have been their cup final. You know, a new noodle partner might be their cup final or, or whatever. I mean, and and it's, it's hard not to escape the fact or escape the feeling that that FA Cup quarter final, for one reason or another, the mentality that maybe filters down from the board, from Edward Wood and Richard Arnold and right down through the club, 
the mentality wasn't, you know what, we need, we want to win this at all costs. We are desperate to win this football match. And from the lineup he put out, from the attitude the players um, demonstrated, from the way they performed, they simply did not look as desperate to win that match as Leicester City did. No, no, it was it was remarkable. And if I'm a Manchester United fan, I'd be absolutely furious at that. Yeah, the I, good I, news is though that frozen season ticket prices for the tenth yeah. season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm for, yeah. Let's hope that they can actually get in to see a bit of football. That's the thing. I mean, you know, the I, difference I, it, is. Good, I mean, Andy, you were you the night before we were both at Goodison, weren't we? Yes. And watched City, and although City weren't at their flowing best and produced. Yeah. Football, we we know they can do. They, they were still dominant in that well, game. You know, Everton tried to bully them a bit and be physical and it just didn't work. Yeah, spot on. You just felt that there was a goal coming and eventually they, they scored twice in the last six or seven minutes and went, went through. And that's a team which is, which is you know, has won so many things over the last few years in, in that same period where Man United haven't won yeah. a single thing. And just, I just thought there was a stark contrast in desire and belief and determination you know City are relentless they want to win all four trophies where you know they've already got one in the bag in the, in terms of the title because it'll take a, a remarkable collapse for that, them to be caught now so I just think it all stems from the manager yeah they're being driven by Guardiola and United are being driven by Ollie who's at the wheel but the wheels yeah. are you know, it was yeah. amazing. It was an amazing, Matt. I don't know whether you saw it, but you know, Andy, Andy, and I were talking about it. Andy was right to raise it. What what Solskjaer said last week about about trophies and about sort of kind of being basically ego trips for, for, yeah. for managers, weren't they? And the kind of you know, he was obviously suggesting that the sort of the long term target building of the club is more important than basically domestic silverware. I don't know whether United fans view it like that, do they? I mean, certainly not. Certainly not traditionalists. I mean, you know, everyone knows how much I love the FA Cup. I mean, surely the FA Cup is worth a try. You know, it's worth winning for Manchester United. That might be what they want to hear up in the boardroom, but but that's certainly definitely not what the fans want to hear, is it? You know, they they want their their glory days there. You know, even if it is. You know, a, a sort of a lax period compared to the Fergie years. You want the occasional success, something to sort of remember, you know, when you look back on this era. And yeah, I'm not quite sure someone who claims to be so well versed in, in the feelings and the around the club, why Oli Gunnar Solskjaer has allowed himself to be duped into sort of trotting out this kind of stuff. Because the one thing he does seem to have is his finger on the pulse of, of the culture at Manchester United. And no, that's just completely offbeat. Yeah, and, but he's not alone, no Matt, is he? In being duped into this top four-itis, is he? You know, I mean... Oh, no, no, but, but I mean, no, no, the no, thing no, about Oligon Solskjaer is he yeah. feels he understands what the club's about. That's, well, his, whole, that's it, his selling it, point as a manager because it's certainly not his tactical act. Exactly. Or, I, I, and, and, and if anyone knows what, what you know, winning cup competitions it means to Manchester United, then then clearly it, it should be him. But, but I agree. I think he's got sucked into this idea, you know, that has been fairly long established now that, you know, top four is the be-all and end-all. And I guess if he finishes in the top four, then he'll stay in the job. But Jeremy made a good point about the contrast between City and United. I mean, Everton were absolutely, you know, really up for that game on Saturday night. Mm. You, you know, they were they were so intense. I mean, Guardiola said, didn't he, that he sat, he's got into this little habit now, hasn't he, of sat in the yeah. dugout before the game on his own, watching the other team warm up, not quite like Klopp does, who stands out on the pitch doing it, but Guardiola does. And, he's, and, and, and he, he remarked that, that Everton was so pumped up in the warm-up, was so, you know, hyped up for the game. You know, he told his players. And, you know, that was the sort of game that he thought, 
And we've seen Everton do it to City before, you know, two or three seasons ago, whenever they, the 4 0, what was the 4 0? What was the. Um, and you know that could have been the game. They could have been. They they could have they could have wilted a little bit in the face of Everton's um, unbelievably physical, fast, athletic stars. You know, there's three men on every every man, but they didn't. They stood up and were counted. And I just feel that United didn't stand up to be counted in that game, in that quarter final. And, and yes, we we did mention John sort of you know in the in the in the sort of you know the post match comments that we made, the the, the, the stuff that the newspapers went on, but. I genuinely think that, you know, I'm not saying it was a shrug of the shoulders, but it wasn't far off from Solskjaer. You know, no, oh, well, you we were right. a bit tired, games caught up with us. I mean, yeah. that was, you know, as I say, it wasn't, it was almost a shrug. It was almost, well, you know what, I had to rest a couple. We were knackered after Thursday. Played a lot of games. Boys have played very well. And, you know, one game. The thing far. is as well, Dunn, I'll tell you what, I don't know how that washes. I don't when you look at the draw as well, how that panned out with yeah. City drawing Chelsea, that you know, yeah, 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 you really back United to a beat Southampton in the yeah, semi-final, hey, and get I, to a I, final, and and they knew they're at half time. <laughs> That's worrying. Yeah, won at half time. <laughs> yeah, don't get me started on that. But it's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, with respect to Southampton, while showing them no respect at all, Jeremy Hayden's <laughs> round. Anyone who prefaces well, that prefaces the sentence with, with no disrespect to you're about both to show them and the so. dis- disrespect. I like Southampton, by the way, and I think Southampton actually would right. don't don't. I think will be. I think you we'll think be they'll decent, be less I think it will be. I think it will be a tight game. Yeah, I think that. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I actually think that basically Leicester will be favourites. Of course they will, but I actually think that basically Leicester, uh, Southampton on occasion this season have played some terrific stuff. If they can get some players yeah. back and get some kind of form back in the next couple of weeks or so, then you, you know, don't 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 write them off. I have to say, I think Leicester. I, I mean, what a season they are having. They are, yeah. you know, top yeah. four. FA Cup semi-final. They've been absolutely beset by injuries. Brendan Rodgers, what a job he does. <laughs> it's quite funny, actually. Basically, he always has this sort of immediate post-match interview, doesn't he? I'm sure Andy was, was, was listening in, but basically with the local radio guy. He's a very good guy, actually. But basically, should we say it's very local radio and, and, and sort of kind of, you know... Uh, Shall we say banging the drum for Leicester City as, as, as you know, as I'm sure anyone <laughs> tuning in first, didn't they, or something? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Every, yeah on. No one could get a question in because we had to wait until they'd done the travel bulletin. Um, but basically, you know, BBC Radio Leicester. If you're going to tune into BBC Radio Leicester, I, I I would suggest that you're going to be a Leicester City fan if you're going to listen to the coverage. So I completely understand the angle they're coming from. Although one of our brethren did actually address Brendan and say, I'm not going to be a cheerleader like the last bloke. And it brought down, it brought down the house. But actually, do you know what? I actually think Brendan Rodgers probably does deserve a cheerleader because the job he's doing is absolutely sensational. If they finish top four and win the FA Cup, you know, and I think that basically they are almost an example to, to Man United. You know, Man United saying, well, you know, you, you can't juggle everything. Well, you know, I know Leicester have gone out of the Europa League, but only in the last only in the last round, which would suggest to me that, you know, well, yeah. if Leicester can do it, then then why not Man United? We are talking Man United. It's astonishing yeah. there. And I think it'd be massive like, for Rogers, wouldn't it, to win the FA Cup? It'd be a huge <sighs> thing to put on his CV because obviously yeah. he had so much success in Scotland when he when he went there after the Liverpool thing turned sour. But I always thought he what he needed to come back and um 
prove himself in the Premier League again. You know, he did a great job at Liverpool, came within one slip of probably winning mm. the title. So it's good to see him succeeding. And he's, you know, if he starts winning things with Leicester, then he's the world's his oyster and he can he can be yeah. can yeah. probably line up a line up a really, really big job um, yeah. you know, in the future. You're saying Leicester is the distant future. And and You're no Leicester <laughs> well, look, with respect to Leicester, as wonderful do, a story yeah. as they have been over the last five or six years, they're never going to be on a par with the likes of City or Liverpool or United, are they? That's, yeah. just, you know, that's just a fact. So They, they are, yeah. they are, they are, bearing in mind their training ground. Yeah. They are in danger of usurping clubs like, you know, Arsenal, Arsenal. Tottenham. You know, yeah, I think Tottenham have probably got a decent training ground, though, haven't they? They have got a decent training ground, but you know where I'm coming from. Leicester have been happily stationed. Leicester have been happily stationed in the top four all season. And I just think, what a job! What a job! He's brought some great players to it. You know, they've got some wonderful young players at Leicester at the minute. A few are He's got Ian Acho going again. You know, what about this know. then, Crossy? Yeah. But, if Southgate mm-hmm. stood down as England manager after the World Cup in Qatar, would Rogers be a shout? Well, I think he was in the you know he was in the conversation. I think last time wasn't he? And then basically, I don't think it, you know I don't think basically he got onto the onto the next sen- second sentence in that conversation. Albeit, um, look, I, I personally, I, I, I think. Not, I would say, I would say that I, I, I think that he's um, driven by club management still, and yeah. that's going to be something because I, I, I do agree ultimately with you, Jeremy, that basically I think he's probably going to, you know, he'll have another crack at a, a bigger club in the Premier League. It'd be crazy not to give him a chance. He yeah. does such yeah. a good this, job, you know. I, I mean, he, he does, you know, and 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 I've always I've always admired Brendan. But let's let, let's face it, he blew it last year. You know, we, we seem to have short memories, and he blew top four injuries, last season. Injuries. He blew top four last season. Man. I don't care whether it was injuries or whatever. Maybe Leicester should have finished top four last season. We know that, and he blew it. I mean, I mean that, that is as simple as that. There's no getting away from that. And now, obviously, um, you know, he's doing he's doing he's doing a fine job now. Let's wait and see if he finishes um, top four. Um, and as regards to England, I think he'd be great, but I, I'm with you. I mean, for a couple of reasons. One, I think, yeah, he loves the day-to-day. And, and secondly, as well, England cannot afford to go around spending fortunes on the next England manager post-pandemic. You know, the FA have laid an awful lot of people off. You know, staff have gone that. And so you're not going to go around throwing five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten million pounds at a new manager. And that's the sort of money that club managers will still be able to command. So you would have to take a fair old pay cut if you were, I want to say that England job, but it's not as though Brendan is in the same situation as Gareth was when he took the job. You know, Gareth wasn't, you know, never going to be in demand by a big six club. Um, you know, not many clubs really, let's be honest, when he took the England job. So um, I think that would be a practical sticking point as well. But as regards this season, let's just see if he stays in, in, in the top four like last season. Oh, you little tease. Anyway, I know who's <laughs> going to I know who's going to be. I know because the number one. I know who's going to be the next England manager. Has he filled yeah. the void left by yeah. Frank? Hundred percent. So obvious. No, it's not me because I, ne- I could never be uh, as as you know as convincing and brilliant at talking as Gareth Southgate is. I love the kind of the, that pride that he summons up in playing for England and what England means. But I, I'm absolutely, there's no doubt about it in my mind who the next England manager will be, and that is Graham Potter. Right. Right. I think Graham Potter is cut from the same cloth of calmness as Gareth Southgate. Oh. 
he plays, he tries to play good football. He is, you know, very, very good with the media. It's kind of sort of kind of sets a, sets a nice tone. He probably not, you, you know, he's, he does, he's done an excellent job at, at Brighton. Please don't get me wrong. So I'm not de- deride, deriding that at all. But, he's, you know, he's not set the world alight, if you like, but he's had a really good club career. It's just so similar to Gareth. And Gareth has been such a success for England, such a brilliant inspirational manager and appointment, in my <laughs> to view. Be fair, for John, Potter, they'll, take, they'll have to Knight. take the following Crossy, the same tempo. Crossy's in an incredibly positive mood this morning, isn't Potter he? Might need a, Potter might need a new job this summer if, he's, if Brighton get relegated. They're not going to get relegated. There you go, man. They are not going Steve to get Bruce, relegated. Steve Bruce, he might be No real. chance. <laughs> yeah, we should come on to him. Anyway, listen, we'll go back to the point in hand. And I do have to say, we always look to our kind of the uh, uh, the, the, the messages. And one, one uh, regular friend of ours, Ethan Henson, does make the point here. Can Manchester United ever win the Premier League? with Fred in midfield, <laughs> which I have to say is a great point, but also brings us on to a wider point is Man United, their squad, their de- lack of depth, I think, is, is 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 the thing holding them back, isn't it? Yeah, the problem with Fred is, look, he's a workman-like player, he'll do a job for you, but they've got Fred, they've got McTominay, they've got Nemanja Matic, they're all the same. They're all, they all do the same job, basically. You know, they are holding midfielders, you don't need three of that type of player in that squad. So there's an imbalance in midfield. Um, there's obviously doubts about Pogba still. Will he stay or will he will he leave in the summer? And he came on, didn't he, and changed the game in Milan last week and had a wonderful sort of cameo appearance. Scored a winning goal that got him through. So there's so much up in the air with United. You know, will Cavani leave? They're going to have to sign a new striker if they do sign a striker. Who will they sign? They need, do they make? Do they need to make a statement with that? Mm. Do they try and get Haaland? Would Haaland want to go to United? You know, he's probably going to have the pick of wherever he wants to go in the world in the summer. If he chooses to leave Dortmund, would he pick United over City, for example, or even Chelsea? He'll go where he thinks he's got the best chance of winning the title, and that's not United. That's the issue. So, you know, they're still weak at the back, really. You know, I know Maguire's the captain and everything, but he's it's susceptible to pace is Maguire they need, a, they need someone alongside him who's really really quick a good, really quick centre back so um, you know and they don't have the depth needed to challenge for the title which is why Maguire's having to play every game Rashford's obviously is injured at the minute but he's, he's obviously been flogged to death and playing through the pain barrier so it's just not good for players um, City don't have to do that. They've been very lucky with injuries. You know, like Denny said the other week, it's mm. remarkable how they've got every player fit and available in nearly April, which is amazing. So, Gardo doesn't have to flog his players today. If he can pick and choose, he can, mm. can give them a break. You know, um, he, he left Sterling out of the squad altogether, didn't he, last weekend? So, the weekend before, sorry. So, that's the difference. And United need to look at that. But the issue is, obviously, they don't have the spending power of City. You know, the Glazers do do not want to spend on a, a similar level to what City do, or even no. Chelsea do. They just keep, all they want to do is take money out of the club, not 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 spend it. So um, that the issue for United, which has always been for the last decade or more, is the Glazers own the club, and that is the crux of the problem in terms of moving forward and how ambitious they are, and can they ever get back to being the number one team in um, in England and Europe? No, it's, it's a fascinating one. We should touch on also, you know, Chelsea, just their, um, you know, their, their 
uh, progress under, under Thomas Tuchel has just been nothing short of remarkable, isn't it, really? I mean, I, I back them to, to Nick fourth place now. They're in the FA Cup semi-final. You know, they're up against it clearly in the draw. But, you know, the, the job, Matt, that, that Tuchel has done it, it, it has been remarkable, hasn't it, really? What, what's he brought to Stamford Bridge? What's he brought to the Premier well, League, Tuchel? One of the main things he's brought is a lot of energy. I mean, he is very much an impact manager. Um, and you'd expect wherever he went, the first five, six games, things to pick up because he is demanding. He gets in the face of players. He tells them exactly what he wants. And, you know, he has a plan. Um, the measure of Tuchel is going to be when they have their first slump. Um, uh, and can he dig them out of that? And or will his abrasive style uh, start, you know, setting up factions within a, a very difficult dressing room? Um you know, to manage because there's so many talented players who aren't getting as many games as they want. And that, as we all know, is the sort of poison that affects quite a lot of clubs. But he's been superb. You know, he's been honest, which I think is what they need down there at Stamford Bridge, a bit of honesty. Um, and, and they weren't very good against Sheffield United. Uh, they got through 2-0, flattered them. It was typical of Sheffield United's season that just a couple of inches here and there would have made a massive difference. Um, I still don't know how David McCaldrick missed that chance. Um, and it could all suddenly be different. But he's got this momentum, 14 games now, uh, you know, uh, and it just keeps going on. And eventually, as we found out with Manchester City, that run will come to an end. Uh, and that's when, you know, if Chelsea bounce back from that, then uh, I can do it quickly then they will be formidable opponents to try and finish ahead of if you want to be in that top four places. But, but yeah, I mean, as it's been proved week after week, it was a great appointment at the right time to give some energy into mm. Chelsea's season uh, when they look to be drifting towards sort of nothing much. Hey, I wouldn't rule them out for the Champions League either because no, he's, right. got, he's got an uncanny knack of being able to dig out a result yeah. even when they don't deserve it. I mean, they're by no means the best team in the competition, but, but yeah, someone's got to beat them to put them out. Uh, and that's going to be no mean feat. Yeah, yeah. I, would say, I would say they've probably drawn the weakest side. Uh, exactly. You know what I mean? But listen, there's not many sides can sort of dismiss Atletico Madrid, you know, quite as mm. comfortably as they did. You know, Atletico Madrid went without a complaint, without a whimper, which I don't think you can say that about a Diego. Very much second best, weren't they? Very much, and they admitted it, you know, which was, which I say was even more um, astonishing. Let, let, let's face it, Thomas Tuchel was extremely lucky extremely fortunate. It's not often you can walk into a club with that sort of squad, that sort of talent and then, and pick up the reins there. Usually you're coming in to fight fires. Usually you're coming in to reorganise or or replenish a, a, a poorly um, assembled squad. He was doing none of the sorts. He was coming in. It was ready made for him. You know, there, there was a great squad, great selection of players, you, you know, um, a brilliant setup there and the only thing Unfortunately, from 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 certainly from an English point of view, it was that Fan Lampard was not doing a very good job, and you know Tuchel was fortunate to come in there. And I'm not saying that anyone could have done it, but certainly someone of that caliber comes in, and, and no wonder he jumped at the chance because you know you just look at that and you think, well, hang on a minute, and and then you look at the fixture list also ahead of you, and you think to yourself, I'm on a winner here, really. You know, if I can't get this team winning football matches, uh, well, I'm keeping clean sheets more to the point. And not conceding goals, then I'm not a manager because a great, a good coach. Mm -hmm. Don't forget, a really good, experienced coach starts from that base point of not losing games, of not conceding goals. You know, and that is where 
in with Frank's inexperience, you know, the season that he was hailed for as his debut season in the Premier League as a manager was widely lauded for. I'm not going to... His team conceded 50, 54 goals. I, I don't know if it was 54, 53. Anyway, around that, mid-50 goals in the Premier League. 50-plus goals. Now, that I'm sorry, that just does not get, win you titles. That just doesn't keep you in a job as an elite manager. And that's what elite managers, season managers do straight away. You know, whether you like it or not, they will make sure that you don't concede goals. You certainly don't concede too many goals. And that's what Tuchel's done. It's organisation. It's not as pretty as what's gone before. It's not as exciting as as what's gone before. But exciting for Chelsea fans is winning match after match and getting through to, um, you, you know, the, the Champions League quarterfinal, getting through to the FA Cup semi-final, and, and 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 making your way up the league relentlessly. And and I say it's not rocket science; it's organisation, it's experience, and it was just the you know a, a great job for him that he, that, as I say, he probably couldn't believe his luck. You, you're just you're just saying all that to wind me up, aren't you? I'm you not, really, you I'm really not. are. What, what can you possibly disagree with? Well, I mean, because I mean, Frank Lampard, I think, did a really good I job. I think he did season. a good job. But the just, reason they're in the Champions League quarterfinals is because of Frank yes. Lampard. And Frank Lampard got them into the Champions League while under a transfer ban. I'm sorry, yes. I just don't. I just don't. Well, two shots in many players. I mean, it's, it's been, you know, the change of manager. Fine, it's been borne out, and Chelsea. And this is what Chelsea do. And I thought Roman Abramovich gave a fascinating interview last week. But I do not agree with you on on, on how bad Frank. Crossy, where do you I, think I, you did I, a really listen, good job? No, no, hang on, Crossy. But I didn't say he was bad. I said there was a fundamental <laughs> flaw, and the fundamental flaw, call me old fashioned, happens <laughs> to be quite influential in football. He couldn't stop conceding goals. I mean, they yeah. couldn't stop conceding yeah. goals. That is just, that is just, there's, there's no, yeah, I love there's no you bias or no. I love you to bits, pal, but we will have to respectfully cross it. Cross it, you're right, you're right, Andy. Crossy, where do you think I mean, this, Lampard I, this guy's only conceded, how many goals this guy conceded now? Two? Two. Two. One of them was an own goal, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it's just, I mean, uh, it, 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 I, I mean you have to say, I mean, that's a, that, 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 is, that is some going, isn't it? I mean, that really is some going. And, and to go from, you know, being such a, a, a porous, easy to score against team to being a team that doesn't concede. That's, I mean, that's obviously going to win your games. Crossy, where do you think Lampard will turn up next? It's a really good question. It's a really good question. Well, I, it's a really good question. I do think that basically, you know, will Crystal Palace become available? Yeah. You know, what's, what's going to happen at, at, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Celtic, isn't there? Kind of who will be next, but, you know, it's worked out brilliantly for 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 Stephen um, Stephen Gerrard. So you know, I don't know. I I I think Crystal yes. Palace might be might might be an option because I think Roy Hodgson's done an amazing job. But you know, time will time will come, and I think that basically that club has been run really well yeah. by Steve Parish. Makes really good decisions and choices against yeah. difficult difficult situations you know in the Covid situation that we've had for the last year and Crystal Palace has been well run as a football club and they've got an ageing team aren't they they've got an ageing team but you know how, how on earth as a chairman or a chief executive how do you renew contracts in this season mm-hmm. answer is you don't because you have no idea what your budget is for yeah. the next TV deal is it's, it's an impossible situation I tell you the only te- the only teams that have really you know, uh, look look how many big contracts have been signed in the last six months. They've just not been done because players don't know what the budget is. Agents don't want to go there until they kind of can maximise their value. 
And then the clubs don't want to get into contract negotiations. It's so noticeable, guys, isn't it? That basically, mm. think about it. We normally have these massive, great fanfare, a big, you know, the, the only one daft enough to sign mon- you know, sign a monster, absolute monster contract deal was being Arsenal with Pierre Emic Aubameyang. How's that going? <laughs> and on that note, let's let's talk about <laughs> Arsenal actually, because basically, you know, it says here on the running order, brilliantly put together by our our, our, our excellent producer on on this occasion, Ned. Um, basically, saying let's talk about Arsenal, Jekyll and Hyde, great character to come back from three 0 down, but but awful to ever be in that position. I, I mean, it's just, who wants to take this one? Because it was an absolutely crazy manic oh, mayhem. I'll, I'll have a go. I've said, yeah, I didn't see I'm, all I'm going to do is say the same thing as Andy's just said is call me old fashioned, but they need to get the defence sorted out. <laughs> I mean, it's as simple as that. I was lucky enough to speak to George Graham the other day, uh, and he spoke about Arsenal and Arteta. And he said, you know, his old upbringing, you get the defence sorted out then you can start doing the rest of it on top of it. He's a big fan of Arteta, as that happens. Um, thinks he will get it sorted. But you can't defend like Arsenal have been defending and do anything, uh, build anything substantial in front of it. Uh, and yet they can occasionally turn it on and, uh, and West Ham have that tendency to shoot themselves in the foot as well a little bit. Uh, and I think they, you know, like the old song, you know, the bubbles bursting and everything, that it's very easy for them to lose belief that they are quite where they are. Um but yeah, for Arsenal to find themselves 3-0 down, it's just that's where Arteta, unless he sorts that problem out, like Tuchel has done at Chelsea, then they can't build anything of substantial um, in terms of finishing top four, winning trophies or anything. And I can't quite see um, how he's adding value at the moment to, to where we were a year ago under Unai Emery. Because until that defence is sorted out, you know, Arsenal are going to continue to struggle. Uh, and it's as simple as that. You know, Callum Chambers is suddenly back in the mix out of nowhere. Who knows? You know, but it just seems like that wasn't the answer five years ago. You know, what are they doing? They really need to have a big summer where they really think about laying down some foundations and, and really getting that, that back line sorted. Tierney is a fantastic player. Mm. Um, they just need three other fantastic players to go with him. Yeah. No, I, I I do agree. Andy, you you must have a solution for this, pal. You know, defend. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got a solution. I, I, you know, I I only I only watched the highlights of the um, of the game at West Ham um, on the weekend, so I couldn't really really comment. I mean, I, I you know I, I liked them. I I think that I'd love to see Udegaard sign permanently. Yeah, yeah. You, you Super know, player, he, he, he just I just like the cut of his jib. You know, he, he is he, he's a a sort of a bit of an oasis of calm he appeared to be in that game. And, you know, there's just something about, you know, um, great left-footed players as well in midfield, isn't he? You know, the way they, mm. the way they, the, he spots openings and... and, and they used to have a player like that, didn't they? He did, yeah, I can't remember. He's doing well in Turkey at the moment, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Odegaard is fascinating, you know, because he basically has divided opinion a little bit amongst us. Yeah, well, early on, I thought so. Yes, yeah. that was the yeah, case. Yeah. You know, sort of kind of they wanted to see Smith Rowe, you know, sort of rather than rather than Odegaard. Yes. I mean, obviously, you know, you can hopefully sort of kind of squeeze them both in, but Odegaard has really stepped yeah. to the fore in the last couple of games, and yeah. you know, terrific. Yeah, I, I like it. I, I think Arteta, you know, I mean, if you go through statistically, his record, you know, isn't isn't stellar, but. I just do think overall, you know, without sort of, um, I don't know, without dampening expectations, you know, it, it's tough at the top of the Premier League. You know, I, I look around and I see, you know, I see Chelsea um, as relatively formidable, Manchester United, whatever, you know, we say about them every week, 
you know, have a good squad and have um, a lot of world-class players, Manchester City or City, you know, and then we're, we're not even mentioning the, the, you know, the champions, Liverpool, Everton with a huge amount of investment from Far Mashiri, um, Leicester City, you know, who, who are invested um, heavily. And, and we seem to judge clubs now on training grounds, I notice. So, you, you know, it, top. But, but you know what I'm saying? It, what I'm trying to say is that no longer, I think if what you're trying to say or, or what maybe is, is a discussion now is, is no longer how long for the big six, basically. How long can we keep using the phrase the big six? Mm-hmm. And how long can we safely say that, that Arsenal, Spurs, City, United, um, Liverpool and Chelsea constitute the big six? I guess that's probably commercially, so I guess that will continue. But in terms of the moments of on the pitch, then, you know, Arsenal have got no divine right to be um, as one of those elite clubs. No, Jezu, it's an interesting point in time, isn't it? Because, you know, the the, the big clubs are sort of talking about, I mean, while it's not, you know, a a breakaway, they are talking about the reform of the Champions League. And there's, you know, there's little nuances here and there, you know, protected sort of qualification. It's geared to... You know, an established elite here. Arsenal are in danger of slipping out of that established elite just at the wrong time, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Look, they are nine. I think they're ninth in the table. So that, they've been the tenth. For, they've been tenth for about the last four months. Yeah, it feels like. So, and they've so, finally yeah. made progress into ninth. It's amazing. <laughs> that, the table. It's a cliche, but it doesn't lie, does it? The no, table. You are. True. You are where you are on merit. So, and that is probably. About right for Arsenal. They are a top 10 Premier League side, yeah. but nowhere near the top four. I mean, when you think about it, it's not all doom and gloom because they've got some great young players, Arsenal. They've got Smithrow coming through, Saka, yeah. who I think is a wonderful player. No, mm. you do. Um, Tierney's been probably the best player, most consistent player this season. So there's a fulcrum of a youth and, and a future there. But there's just... They need, they need investment. That's yeah. like any any club. They the Teams always need investment year on year out so you know but will it come we, we all know Cronky he's not a massive spender is he as chairman yeah. go, owners go so you know they will be continue to be behind those above them unless that changes um, and no matter how much time Arteta's got or he's given he won't be able to you know, I hope he succeeds because, you know, he clearly has learned from a master in Guardiola. So, you know, on paper, he mm. looks like a good fit for Arsenal. He was played for them and was a wonderful player for them. But um, even if he's given three or four years, will he mould a team that's capable of challenging it for the top four? I don't, I just get depressing for an Arsenal mm. supporter, but I just can't see it happening. I just no. think the progress of the top teams is so rapid. Um, and Arsenal, do you just feel like they're on a treadmill of mediocrity, really? Yeah, you know they win a few games, they lose one. They win a few more, they lose a couple. It's it's there's no consistency with them. No, it's not. It's not. I have to say the the thing for me is not very good to watch either. Which is always you know mm. don't mind if it's sometimes you you, you get entertained. You know, the worry know. would be obviously if they do fall further and further behind. Yeah. What will what will happen to the likes of Smith Rowe and Tucker? I mean, I'm not saying they're going to leave this summer, but in a year's time, they might be looking around thinking, you know, you know what, <laughs> I'm out of here because I'm not going to win yeah. anything. Yeah, the thing that worries me is about this. I know you say about the spending, but look at how much they have spent, and the owners have un- you know underpinned it. They spent 72 million on Pepe. Partey. They spent, yeah. they spent, you know, they basically broke the bank on deadline day to send Thomas Partey. Mm. 
What's happening? You well, again, cannot, you cannot say. Deal as well, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, you cannot say that basically I think it's down to lack of support. You really can't. It, is that enough, it's, though? It's spending in the wrong, you know, let's hope the party comes good. I think he will. But he's been so beset by injuries. But, you know, Nicola Pepe, come on. That was a great cross. I saw he, he, He's he, finally discovered he's got another foot. Brilliant. Yeah, he, he put it on a plate for Lacazette to get a point yeah. that might, you know, that might get you right. into it. I don't know. And listen, I, I know what you mean about Pepe. And you might expect a little bit more for you. You do, you do, but you just maybe sometimes there. he's one of those players, isn't isn't he? That you know, one in every sort of ten times you watch him, you think, ah, there mm. might be something there. Obviously not enough. Party, listen, <laughs> party in particular, though, you, you would hope would come good. I mean, yeah, the most compelling evidence I've seen that was when they won at Old Trafford earlier yeah, this season. And party was absolutely brilliant. sensational yeah. in that game. I think he got injured probably soon after or yeah. in that game. I can't remember. And was out for a while, but he was absolutely sensational in that game. And then you looked at him, you thought, you know, that, 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 that's a player who could have a... Um, a really huge impact. So, so we shall wait and see. But let's go back to the original point that it isn't going to be easy because there's a lot of fierce opposition out there. It really is. Yeah, no, I agree. Matt, let's move on to Spurs because they had a really significant victory, a much needed win at Aston Villa after after the incredibly difficult, you know, week or so, basically. <laughs> but in keeping row with Tottenham's season, really ups and downs. Probably Gareth Bale's comments this week have sort of kind of almost stirred the pot again, haven't they? Because it would feel it, well, it looks certain. That he's off at the end of the season. I mean, you know, but on recent, I don't, I don't, recent performances. I don't think Gareth Bale should play for Tottenham again. I mean, I'm a little wow. bit disappointed in Gareth Bale being so. I mean, to have used a club which served him so well in his development mm. in the manner that he kind of seemed to be crowing about using them. It was it was his attitude and like, oh, it was only ever temporary. It was a little bit, I think, dismissive and disrespectful of Spurs mm. and the opportunity he gave them. Uh, and to see those quotes when he's back in his home, you know, back king of the castle again, back in Wales. Because let's get this right, he's not pulled up any trees since he's been back at Spurs. You know, he, he he's got back in South Wales and, and we know that. And his performances justify that. They haven't done that at Spurs. He's not given them what they might have hoped for. Um, uh, and then to go back and say, well, obviously it was only ever temporary and almost suggest that it would be beneath him to, to consider a longer stay at Spurs. I just don't think does him any favours at all. Uh, and I don't think it's really, you know, I'd be a bit miffed if I was part of that Spurs setup that gave him that chance. And if I was Jose, he keeps on about having players who want to play for the club. Well, that's no sign that he wants to play. He's not interested in the future of Tottenham Hotspur. He's, he's interested in the future of Gareth Bale. He's probably counting down the dates till the golf course is open. And, um, and, oh, and yeah, looking mate. forward. You're open in Spain, mate. Apart from you, obviously. Probably woken up for that. A few sunny days. It's all gone. If I was back in Spain, I could be playing golf now. And, um, and yeah, and, he, and he's ready to sort himself out with a nice move in the summer if that's how it works. Or take another year's load of money to play golf. Uh, and then wander off into his retirement. And yeah, I'm just hugely disappointed by by the lack of sort of sim- empathy he's shown with the Spurs fans and also the lack of humility he's shown after, a, you know, he's, he's done nothing on his return that we expected him to. Um, isn't, he, isn't, he, isn't he frustrated this week? In, in kind of, you know, I, I didn't think there was an element of him, you know, his frustration spilling over. He's kind of subbed against Arsenal, only a sub against yeah, Zagreb. Because he wasn't doing he's anything. Been, he's been good lately. He's had some be- a few he's better games. Yeah. 
He's been a flat track bully. Scored against the mighty Marine and Wickham and oh, all the big clubs. No, I don't think he has. I really don't think he has. And when he's needing to come to the table, you know, he hasn't. And he had that spell where things seem to be clicking with Kane. But then to throw all that back at the first opportunity and say, you know, just when it seems to be working and after the patience has been shown, the tolerance has been shown, and he's got himself in a thing, at a time when Mourinho is bawling out the dressing room saying, I only want people here who are committed to the club you know, the attitude stinks. He goes straight onto international duty. We moan about players going to the continent of doing this and says, you know, well, I don't really want to be there. You know, are we, are we going to redo that banner now? Wales, Golf, Madrid, Spurs now, are we? I, I think Bale needs to be the first one. Listen, what did you expect? I, I mean, I, I know exactly what you're saying. I know you to be brazen about it. That's what I think. Yeah, yeah. Was but, 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 I mean, two, two, two. I mean, one thing, you know, and I don't want to go back onto an old subject, and this isn't strictly about loans within the Premier League, but listen, he's on loan. What part of on loan? When you borrow a player, a player who isn't yours, what do you expect him? I mean, he is not your player. He is a real Madrid player. Now, he's sitting going to disrespect his, his employees who are paying his wages. He is not a Tottenham player. He has no affinity or loyalty to Tottenham. They don't pay his oh. wages. They don't. No, they don't know us clubs on it. was a long time ago since he was at Tottenham. Listen, he's won four Champions Leagues with Madrid. I mean, he's you know, he's been there a long time. He's still under contract. He's on loan at Tottenham. It was a move of convenience. Probably a nice bit of PR, or at least Daniel Levy probably thought it was good PR. No, look what we're doing. We're bringing back the prodigal son. Gareth Bale, you know, as prob- I, I mean, Matt calls it brazen. He's been honest enough to say, well, I was coming back, you know, to keep myself fit for... Um, the Euros with you, you know with Wales, mm. um, except, and you know it, it was literally a move of convenience for all concerned. You know anyone who thinks he was coming back out of some sort of like you know some as I say some prodigal son who suddenly realised the end of his ways and wants to go back into the bosom of Spurs fans, none of whom are in the stadium by the way. But um, it, it's like you know that was never the case. It was a cold-hearted loan move, which as I say I don't agree with full stop. And if you borrow a player, then if he turns out actually, you know, I've got no attachment to you really, other than the fact that you give me the chance to to have a kick around now and again, then I've got no sympathy for them at all. But I do agree with Matt. I do think that, that you know, I don't see the point now, really, of you know, I mean, what, what I got the impression as well from what Jose said after the Aston Villa game that there was an implication there towards sort of Bale, uh, and particularly in, in the comments he made. Um, after defeat against Zagreb, you know, and they were they were clearly about squad comments. players, about squad Sorry? players, yes, yeah, so, and, and yes, yeah, so, I, I, I actually thought it was more about kind of a few other. Oh, other maybe, other maybe, but if I'm well, honest. his team but, selection though know. for Villa showed who he was talking about, didn't it? And yeah, you, you bring Tang, you know, the club player Tang yeah. Anger in, and you drop Gareth Bale, and suddenly yeah. you know, Ali's gone again, yeah. and yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, the play lads. He's Bale's used Tottenham as a as a tool with which to play. He come back thinking I'll play, I'll get fit. I'll use Tottenham to get fit, play loads of games, be fit and ready to go for the Euros with Wales because that's his. That's the only thing on his mind right now, isn't it? Being mm-hmm. being at the Euros yes. in Wales this summer, and it's not panned out for him. You know, for whatever reason, he's. I mean, he had fitness issues, didn't he, when he first came back? But started six Premier League games, so it's not worked out how he wanted it to, and he's clearly cheesed off mm-hmm. to say the least with Mourinho. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Matt's right. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. You shouldn't start making discussing a club like that because it's like taking the Michael in it, really. And he's he's got back to Wales with Wales, like Matt said. It's his. It's his. 
It's where he wants to be. That's where he's most comfortable. And um, yeah, actually, if you read what he said, he actually admitted he felt relieved to be out of the Spurs bubble and back to yes. Spurs again, which is quite damning, really. It's but it's just not going to pan out, is it? So no. Yeah. And it's I just, not, I just love a player look. that is, is so passionate about playing for his country. I love yeah. the romance yeah. of it. I love the way the way playing for Spurs. Hey, no, I know the way they will love the way that the Welsh fans sort of idolise this player, the best, the, mo- the best and most successful British export of all time. I yeah, mean, yeah, you, can't, you, know, that. you know, successfully, yeah. hey, absolutely been amazing. And, and, Not the player he was, uh, let's be honest here, listen, but what a put, player, what a career, what a fantastic talent. Who, and who's to say though? I mean, who is to say? I know there was some sort of rather fanciful front pages out in Spain, well, well we think they are. Mm. But what's to say that this summer, that the Real Madrid management doesn't change, that Zidane doesn't leave, you know, we, we we know Real Madrid have been known to change their manager on occasion. Um, what if he leaves? What if Ronaldo goes back? I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, what if they, they, they reconvene the Benzema, Bale, Ronaldo front line? It's not beyond the realms of, uh, realms of him, I was thinking BBC then, not beyond the realms of imagination. And if you're Gareth Bale and you've got a year left at Real Madrid, don't forget, it's a fantastic place to be. It, I mean, no matter what it's troubles, you know, you are playing for Real Madrid, you know, and, and you've been there for so long, that's an achievement already. What if he thinks, well, you know what? Fresh start after the Euros, get back to Real Madrid for my final season and he'll have been there for what? Eight years, something like that now? I, I don't yeah. know what would have been, something like that. Certainly the longest that any English player has been there. And, and that might be... It's one song at Real Madrid, which, you know, would be fantastic rather than scrabbling around and put at spares and putting up with Jose's um, pack of the loose. Yeah, no, it's, it's an interesting one. Guys, I really feel as if we should um, yeah, remember Frank Worthington. You know, very sad, um, you know, passing uh, th- this week. I mean, you know, uh, sadly, incredibly ironically, he, he uh, you know, passed away on the same day, obviously, there was a hearing into, you know, um, head injuries and, and, and concussion, um, you know, and he was diagnosed with, wasn't he, with dementia in, in 2016, mm. and a long, long illness, Frank Worthington. But really, I, I, if you mention Frank Worthington to anyone of a certain, certain age, yeah. just think about that goal, that goal. I mean, you know, it's just yeah. just an amazing, what a life to lead and what yeah. a fantastic, I, career, um, what a fabulous goal. I... Didn't see him play live, but I've seen reams and reams of footage of him on video and TV and stuff like that. And just, you know, I was asked to write his obituary earlier in the week. It's obviously always sad occasion I have to write one for Peter Lorimer, who died the previous week, another legend mm. of the game, you know. And um, yeah, you just Google, you just Google um, Frank, and the first thing that comes up is that goal against Ipswich, which was, you know, one of many, many wonderful goals he scored that outlined how, outlined how flamboyant and genial he was really. You know, he was compared to Best, George Best, wasn't he, by some people. Um, he had that much talent and also it was his character, wasn't he? You know, mm. that famous story about him getting off the plane and he throwing a, in a lime, lime green velvet jacket and then Ralph Ramsey just stood there shaking his head. He was joining up with England under 23, he's got a cowboy boots on and, you know, <laughs> A red silk shirt apparently when he strutted off the plane so I mean he brought out a book didn't he about his life which uh, was quite colourful to say the least but yeah it's a wonderful player and a sad loss I mean it's amazing he only won eight England caps you know and he's one of many players in that era you know like Peter Osgood and people like that who didn't actually win that many caps for England it's unbelievable when you think about it it's really 
Yeah, mm. yeah, uh, unbelievable talents. Have you seen? Has anyone seen that shoot Q and A? Oh, yes, nice. <laughs> most difficult opponent, tax man. Yes, <laughs> oh, who's the ex-wife? Oh, no, the tax man. Yes, tax man, the ex-wife. It, 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 it was absolutely no, brilliant. It, it, it was, and and you know, you, you, you like to think that those sort of Q and As will eventually come back, don't you? But you know, can you, oh, imagine, can you imagine now? You know, Frank doing that Q and A, and in, in the meantime, in the modern era. Joe Hart, the reserve spacekeeper, has his own social media team. You know, I mean, I mean, Frank would have sat down and loved doing that. You know, and then, and now we're, we're we're deflecting. You know, reserve spacekeepers are asking have social media teams. I'm not just singing out Joe Hart for that. And that is an age that we're in. And you'd like to think that, you know, as, as, as Jeremy says, you know, we're at a stage now where, you know, we're having to do unfortunately a lot of these these jobs, these obituaries, because. Players of a certain age, you know, who, who we grew up watching um, are sadly passing away. And you just wonder, you like to think that, that, that you know, throw it forward 20, 30 years that, that the players will always be remembered like this. But, you know, you just can't imagine now, can you, you know, in 50 years' time of thinking of a character such as Frank Worthington. I mean, hmm. I mean you can't um, because the game's different and lifestyles are are, are completely different. Relationships between players and and journalists are completely different. You, you know, there, there wouldn't have been a journalist, a contemporary of Frank's, a journalist of, of Frank's age, who wouldn't football journalist who wouldn't have gone out. You know, when Frank was was living a high life and you know nightclubs and and out and about and drinking, there wouldn't have been a journalist who you know who wasn't with him at, at that time. That that isn't the case now. I'm not saying it's a good or bad thing, and that's why I think you know you, you pick up the newspapers and you read such affectionate recollections of these guys. It's because it's almost from a bygone age, you know. Yeah. Players like Frank Worthington are. Um, I think I think it's important as well, though. I mean, just on a serious note, it's important that we, you don't always think, you know, well, here's the great thing about Frank, you know, is it is it you know he liked the drink and he and he and he liked you know whatever else. I think it's important to look at that goal and think, you know, he was what he was one heck of a footballer, mm. you know, an absolutely brilliant footballer, and that goal. Um, sums up what he was all about, you, you know, because apart from it being completely ingenious, it was also fantastic technique. And um, and also, and, and secondly, what I would say about him is that, you know, you, you were unlucky if you weren't supporting a club that Frank didn't play for because he had enough, didn't he? Like, 20 you know, clubs, didn't he? <laughs> it was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the fact is that just showed, again, a guy who, who just, you know, you're not going to get great players now. Um, sort of, you know, really great players who, who in the late thirties, early forties, you know, are going to be going around playing in non-league like Frank did. It's sad actually, Crossy, because I actually put this in my obituary when I wrote it. I said it, you know, because there'll be a, there'll be a generation of, of football followers, young generation, who probably well, I've ever seen him play even yeah. on, on clips. So I said, if you've not seen that goal he scored, Google it because it's one of the greatest goals ever, ever, ever seen on these shores. You don't really see goals like that now, do you? You see no, number no. 14 goals and you don't see a bit of genius like that, like Gazza used to produce. Yeah, or, exactly. you know, real, real people who just wanted to entertain and ultimately that's why we go to football match, isn't it? To watch, to watch skill. And he had, yeah, yeah. of course we do. Course and also we can't... Daily, Daly actually, Daly Alley actually scored. You know, he did actually, sort of yeah. A yes. goal against, yeah, yeah. against, sort of kind of, you know, against Crystal Palace. But funny you should say that, Jeremy, because I was listening to the radio, you know, and basically... A younger presenter, shall we say, said, you know, to the, to the yeah. older guest, you know, basically, oh, I've just sent you a clip 
of 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 that goal. I wonder whether you remember that. And and the, you know the kind of the older guests just started laughing because you know it's just at our age or maybe a t- tad younger and just think well. That you know, that's all we you know. You think of Frank yeah. Worthington, you think of that goal, and it yeah. was just made me think, blimey, you know, it's just kind of you know, there's no no fault on any side, yeah. but it's just a basic of a certain age. It's just you think of Frank Worthington, you think of wild, you know, nights out, sort of party lifestyle, and that goal. I mean, it's yeah. just it's just obvious, yes. I find it I find it somewhat bemusing, Andy, that you're suggesting that a younger generation of journalists. You know, couldn't couldn't go out with footballers to today. I mean, what what do you think they'd go out and just spend the whole night just talking about you know about expected goals or something? No, what are you saying? Yeah, but they could talk about, no, no, I'm not saying. I'm, no, I'm not saying. It's, and it's certainly not their fault. I mean, I'm, I'm sure we'd all love to. Uh, I mean, still socialise in in, in, um, in those circles. But I think I think it's more. I think it's more on the other side. The footballers aren't likely to to call you up and say, you know, do you fancy a pint? I mean, and for starts off, you know, there's a far healthier style and lifestyle. I'm sure if we go on to famous England trips, you know, that'll come up. Yeah, is there? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, guys, let's, you know, we're all at the game, um, mm. you know, to England game tonight. It's not just about tonight in San Marino. It's it's a difficult sort of, you know, couple of fixtures, Albania away. I think it's almost written off as a sort of an easy win for England. I, I, I'm not quite sure I see it like that. I think it'll be a little bit more difficult than that. But And then Poland at Wembley next week is certainly more difficult. What, what do we think we might... You know, this is the start of the World Cup journey, guys. So, what do what do we think we'll learn over the next, you know, six days or so about Southgate and about his team and his squad and where perhaps we're we're standing ahead of two major tournaments? What within the space of eighteen months? I think we'll see a lot more what Phil Foden can do um, for England. Um, I think he'll be on the bench tonight, by the way. Yeah, well, <laughs> sorry. But, but I mean, over the three games, no, I, think, I agree. With you. I think we've got I, some chance to, to do something going yeah. forward. Um, to show our nerve at the back, I think we might see a back four a coming back again. Um, which I think England are going to need if they're going to do anything. Yep. I think Southgate wants that. Um, and hopefully Stones uh, back on his game. John Stones can help us do that. Mm. Um, but but I think yeah, we need to see. Uh, you know, a few fringe players really step up and say there there are a few places up for grabs now. Suddenly, in that that team mm. for the finals in the summer, and, and I want to see some of these names that we mention uh, really step up uh, and say, "No, that shirt's mine." Um, yeah. I, I'm excited to see what Phil Foden can do. Particularly, um, I think there's a few nervous people sat at home with injury, mentioning no Jack Grealishes, whatever, who can only go backwards. I think this this week, hopefully, unless it's an absolute disaster. Mm. Let's put it this way. If we're talking about Jack Grealish at the end of this week, we've had a pretty miserable eight days of football because this is a chance for those that are fit, and it's a cruel world in that regard, but it's a chance for those who are fit to say, no, that shirt is mine. Uh, And against a team like San Marino, I want them to play for 90 minutes uh, and try and unlock a defence. If they can't unlock a defence like San Marino's, they're not going to unlock one that's better and it's no good just rolling in three goals and then taking the foot off the pedal. I want to see how many times we can get past that defence tonight um, and how many goals we can score and I want the same sort of mentality to, to get the win, get a couple of goals in front in Albania, which we're capable of doing. I, I, want, I want nine points out of the three games, Poland to be you know, 
take any uh, early weather, any early storm. They do a really professional job. And let's see if we can get some goals going and, and show that we can unlock the fences, not just rely on Harry Kane. Um, you know, uh, um, uh, and uh, yeah, let's see what we can do. And let's see 11 players who were on the pitch at the time really put in a claim to, to try and say they're the ones that are going to make the nation proud this summer. Yeah, I know Rebel Rising. I listen, I love yeah. I love Matt's point about Phil Foden, because I think that basically if we are gonna, you know, do well at the next two tournaments, I think Phil Foden's gonna be absolutely I think Phil Foden. such an amazing talent. You know, yeah. such an amazing Phil talent. Phil Foden's Phil Foden's good enough to do this summer what Gazza did in nineteen ninety. Yeah, I agree. Foden is a special player. <laughs> the problem we've got is it's a great problem to have. Where do you play? Where's his best position where you can maximise his ability to open up a defence? Which is what where is it? Where is it? Where is it, Jeremy? I don't know. I mean, he, he's plays. He's played in various positions for City. He's played as a false nine, um, mm. a number ten. Played on the left. I think he's probably best coming in from the left. Um, I don't know. He's so good. It, it, it sounds crazy to say, but he's so such a comfortable player with the ball at his feet. You could you could stick him anywhere along the front. Yeah, team three, and he it, would he would he would he would be brilliant. Brilliant. The problem to, to, is you've got Grealish. Obviously, he's injured at the minute, but Grealish is a clamour for Grealish to be in the team. He was the star of the show, wasn't he, in November? Yeah. When we last um, watched England play. You've got other players like Sterling and Rashford. I think you can get Kane is obviously guaranteed to lead the lead the line. So, you know, who who are the best players to play off Kane? Because, you know, you've got the speed of Sterling and Rashford. They form a good three, those three, as we've seen countless times before. And Kane's a good link man as well. So, you know, he's the best probably the best passer of the ball we've got in the team. So He's got some real big decisions to make. Uh, this is basically these next three games are like trials for, for, for forget. I mean, look, yeah, the World Cup is the ultimate goal here to qualify, but um, they are essentially trial runs for who he for, the, yeah. for the Euros this summer. It's a strange scenario because of COVID, so the calendar's all higgledy-piggledy, but um, he's got lots of, like Matt said, there's, there's shirts up for grabs, you know, the, the goalkeeper situation's a bit... A bit up in the air. Um, Stones, we expect to play. He's been fantastic. Uh, Maguire's probably guaranteed to start, isn't he, at the Euros? Uh, who does he pick at left back? Will he pick Chilwell or Luke Shaw? Luke Shaw's probably been the most informed left back mm. in the country of late. Right back's now an issue because obviously Trent's been bombed out of the squad, which, which took us all by surprise. And obviously midfield, I suppose if Henderson's fit, he would start at the Euros. Declan Rice is probably guaranteed to play. How many holding midfield players does he play against? It depends what opposition we're playing, doesn't it? My worry for England is these next three games... How much can we learn? Because with respect to San Marino and Albania, they are not, um, you know, well, San Marino are the worst team in the world, aren't they? Official world rankings. So, mm. you know, we're on a hiding to nothing. If you don't win five or six nil tonight, it's, it'll be disappointing. Like Matt said, you know, we expect to see lots of goals. So he's got a lot of thinking to do, actually, Southgate, between now and June. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, when, just quickly, when Jeremy says Phil Foden can play anywhere, he's right. He can play in goal tonight against San Marino, couldn't he? <laughs> yeah. I mean, never mind. Nick Pope, the Pope could play in goal tonight in San Marino and not. I'm not I'm having being... a colour piece later. That's it. Four bars already done there. Moving on. And I think that's the thing about these three games is that I agree. I don't think it'll be, I don't think it'll be a, a walk in the park in, in Tirana. 
um, by any no, stretch of the no, imagination. You know, they, they had a, they had a, they've had a couple of half decent results at home. I think, I think they beat Belarus didn't they recently? Mm. Um, they did lose to Lithuania, I think. Um, They've been campaigning to get fans in as well. They have. I noticed that. Yeah, I noticed the guy said, oh, anyone who's had a jab in England could come over and watch it. As if it was just easy. All right, I'll just move out to Tirana. You know, <laughs> I mean, he said this yesterday. If you've had a jab, you're welcome to come to Tirana. Blimey. Have you been to Tirana? Yeah. Yeah. Have, yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, it's a great city. I mean, listen, yeah, I, would have, I would have loved to have gone back to Tirana to see how it Very cheap cigarettes, Dunny. Very, very, <laughs> I'm not very, very cheap. Everything, if I remember uh, rightly. But um, it was, you, you know, I, I, it was, I thought it was just a, gr- a great comment as, as if suddenly you'd say, oh, great, I've had a jab. I'll, I'll pop over to Albania, easy as it is in these times. Well, yes, you know, you know, but there'll obviously be fans in, in inside there, so I don't think that'll be as easy. And obviously, you know, Poland are, are a decent team, so I, I don't think we should just think that we're going to breeze through all three. Obviously, we'll breeze through tonight. But the point I was going to make was that even though Albania might be tricky and Poland will will, will present um, um, quite stiff opposition next Wednesday, what I think is that, that no one is unlikely to, you know, really go on the front foot and provide an overly stern test of the defensive setup. And that's where, you know, where, where there's yeah, obviously yeah, so yeah. going into the Euros and, and Jeremy's right, you know, this is all about the Euros. This is all about um, June and July. And, I, and and he's got to come up with his, his defensive setup, his best defensive lineup, because England will be tested at some point in, mm-hmm. in the Euros, you know, whether it be Croatia in, in, in the group stages, certainly if they progress, and that's what he's got to get right. You know, he's got to get right. As Jeremy says, is it, you know, he, he, he's been bold with Trent. Does he play the three? You, you know, still, you look at it and you think, well, hang on, is is 3-4-3 three, three the best? You know, does he play a back four? And the fact of the matter is, is that I don't think he's probably going to learn much about what his best defensive setup in these three games. And, and we just have to live with that, you know. I mean, other than that, what we can expect and hope for is they continue doing what they've done for for goodness knows, for as long as I can remember, they get through qualifying games. They win qualifying games. They don't mm. get beat in qualifying games. I mean, that that is that is that 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 is just a fact of the matter. That is just a statistical fact that England and qualifying games are just you know. The issue is to get through. Crossy, is there a danger that when the Euros start, we might be a bit undercooked because we won't have played anyone that's really challenged us. Uh, in the build-up, I know we're playing Austria, aren't we, before? before the Romania, isn't it? The Romania. So, and the, the, so we go into the Euros this summer with high hopes and justifiably so, because we are, yeah. in, in theory, one of the strongest teams in Europe now under Southgate. <laughs> but there is that lag, lingering question. Can we can we beat a France in a final or a yeah. Spain in a semi-final, you know? We're capable of producing one-off wins like we won in Spain when Sterling won scored those wonderful goals. Uh, we're all there for that, and that was one of the best performances we've had under um, under Southgate. But to win a tournament, you've got to beat probably three really good teams. Yeah, and I think you also. Yeah. Final. No, and I think I you need the defense that picks itself. You know, I think you need yeah. a system that picks yeah. itself and a defense that picks itself. A goalkeeper who picks himself. You know, and whether whether that is the system of three-four-three, whether it's a four at the back. I, I don't know, but you want to centre. We, we re- realistically, we still don't know if they, if for example, he did play a four, what the natural centre half pairing would be. If he plays a three, we don't really know what the three would be. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just think I, I think you need that going into a major tournament. Yeah, yeah, no, we'll it'd be very interesting, guys. We're going to finish with our and finally slot. <laughs> 
And it's as it's San Marino tonight, and I hope you've put some thought into this, chaps. No. Look, look on your no. face, Jeremy. It's a bit no. of a blind panic. No. <laughs> so I'll start with you, Matt. <laughs> as it's San Marino tonight, the worst team statistically on the bottom of the FIFA rankings. So we're entitled to say, I, 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 I'm, I'm an old romantic, so I think they're entitled to their day in the sun at, at, at Wembley. A, a tale, please, of covering England against minnows. Um, I prefer an in- international one if we can. I'll, I'll just mm. give you a moment's thought while I recount the story about England planning Kazakhstan, oh. where where basically it was yeah, it was it was a very surreal day. You basically had a, our traditional curtain raiser with a press match in the morning, where Henry Winter famously headed past me in goal. <laughs> And then basically to our eternal shame, they showed it on the screen within the stadium before kickoff with commentary. And, uh, and then, and then actually sold the press seats. Uh, yes. So a few of us ended up watching on the, on, on pit side with a few hastily put together chairs, which I actually use as one of the what was that? avatar pictures. Oh, that was, was 2008. Nine, yes, nine, uh, nine, probably. Uh, yes, it, uh, nine, Almaty, wasn't it? Did you remember yeah. the hotel was quite nice, wasn't it? Remember rightly? Mm. Remember it, it was. Uh, yes, I remember that. But but, but go on, I'll let Matt go on. But it's not the first go time on, that, that used to happen quite a bit, didn't it? Selling press seats. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. No, I've not really had any nightmare. I mean, I've been doing England a little less frequently, certainly on trips. Yeah. Um, uh, one thing I would say for San Marino is whatever they do tonight, they have a fantastic country to go back to. Uh, our trip to San Marino in 2014 was that the last one? Was, was that the yeah. on the beach with a certain England manager? No, yeah. that was a previous. That was a previous trip, I think. Wasn't was it? it? Was it? Uh, I believe so. Maybe. Yeah, no, all, so, been... all sorts of fun and games on that. Well, one, no, but anyway, it? it's a fantastic country and, and uh, yeah, a uh, very pleasant small island within Italy to, to go to. But but no, I've, I've not really had any of the nightmares. There's Montenegro when, uh, at the end, they're not really minnows, but that was a hell of yeah. a finish when Rooney got sent off and standing in the mix zone that had a roof half, along across half of it. So the players were all in the dry and we were in the pouring yeah. rain. Um, but but no, I thought I've been lucky on the the back of beyond, I think FIFA right. regulations and whatever, and all the in- FIFA delegates that go to these games tend to tidy all these issues up a little bit more. These when days. you go to, I mean, we've all been all over the world, don't we? We've been really lucky with our jobs, but you, you, you go to so many places, some bizarre places. You can't remember where you've been, can you? Because yeah. some of these qualifying group phases, you play some real back of beyond countries that you wouldn't ever imagine going to. But in terms of covering minnows, my outstanding memory, which is quite recent actually, is when we lost to Iceland in Nice. Mm. That was one of the worst nights covering England. Mm. And I remember I had to, because it was, um, when we'd lost, I had to sort of basically scramble around and rewrite and my match report and whatever. By the time I got down to the press conference with Roshan, he'd already resigned. <laughs> <laughs> So I walked in, I walked in and my colleague, Dave Woods, my ex-colleague actually, Dave Woods, I said, well, has Roy been in yet? I said, yeah, he's been in, mate. He's, he's quit. I said, what? <laughs> I missed it. I missed all the fun. I'm thinking, well, oh, that's a blow. I would have liked to have seen that. Yeah. And I remember in the mix zone afterwards, you guys were probably there. Joe Hart, actually, who had a nightmare that night. He stopped and talked to us in the mix zone. I've never seen a whiter player. He looked like he'd see, literally seen a ghost. It, it was sheet white. 
fair play to him for stopping to try and front up, but you just you couldn't control what was coming out of his mouth. He was just in total shock. Yeah, it was it was incredible. I always remember and, that afternoon. I'd seen someone from the FA, and it was sort of like if you remember going into that game. I think Roy Hodgson kind of his future was a bit up in the air, wasn't it? Anyway, but I think it basically if he went if he won that game, they'd have given him a new two year contract. Yeah, you know, it was as simple as that. You kind of had a par in that tournament reach the quarterfinals or something and, and and then on you go Roy you know you've done okay you reach par yeah. and it was just like this conversation about you know saying mm, what's going to happen if we lose you know yeah don't don't worry don't be ridiculous we're not going to it lose. was uh, oh. they lived through the group though if you remember yeah. I know. It was just a started so well in the first game yeah. started so played so well in the first game didn't end up winning it and it was downhill from there but Andy come on but that's why, just going back to that, that's why the mm. contract thing, you know, that's why, because of course, famously, they gave Fabio a contract yeah. ahead of ahead of 2010, <laughs> just before we actually played the game and then stunk the place out, if you remember, spectacularly. I mean, that was some trip. Yeah, I mean, Jeremy's right. We've been to so many places, you, you, you know, and I've been older than you guys and I've been to probably, you know, some, you can't quite remember them. I remember the Kazakhstan one, but I remember for the first time going to Azerbaijan in 2004 to Baku. I mean, it was just, and, and it was the unknown. It was great then. You know, when all these nations, when the old Soviet Union obviously um, uh, splintered and all these nations um, and the Balkans, um, you know, went into the, into the um, were split up. And we got, we all of a sudden, we got to go to all these nations we'd never been to before. And it was just fantastic. I mean, it was great. I mean, not only recently, of course, you know, I thought the trip to Kosovo was was brilliant. Yeah. You, know, you could have had a nicer trip, you know, in a great city. And, but, but Baku was, it was a trip into the unknown in 2004, I think it was. Mm. And it's just the same as you were saying about, about our sort of facilities out there, but it was just brilliant. And so Baku was then, it was, it was just starting. It wasn't more like it is now, which is, you know, incredibly cosmopolitan. You know, twenty-first century city that that is at the forefront. You know, of, of sport and and commercialism and politics. Then it was just about sort of really establishing itself. But it was a little bit of the wild east. I remember going out there. I don't know if any of you were on the trip. Yeah, well, and it was yeah. it was in the days when we had a, a charter plane, and it was like a five and a half hour, six hour flight. Mm. We weren't arriving there till eleven in the evening. And obviously, I had no work to do when we got there. So we availed ourselves on the charter plane of uh, refreshments, basically. I mean, there's no, no, you know, no shame in that because we, we weren't actually working when we got there. I remember landing the sheeting, sheeting rain and even the tobacco, you know, and, and you knew about this. It's like the Wild East, wasn't it? Mm. And we got to the hotel. And I remember the, the you know, and, and as so often they do, they really roll out the red carpet for you. You know, they really make you feel incredibly welcome. And the guy comes over, pours a glass of, you know, fizzy stuff, and then and he gives you a talk, you know, about what, what, what to do and what not to do. And he basically said, you know, at this time of night, you know, one thing you shouldn't do is go down into downtown Baku, you know, under any circumstances. So, yeah, yeah, okay, mate. Half an hour later, there's three of us in a cab en route to downtown Baku, obviously. <laughs> and we're armed with this information that, 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 that we haven't got a clue about, you know, Baku. But we're armed with this information that, 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 that the US dollar is king, right? Even in, in one of the, you know, the furthest east of the old states, Soviet states. And so we, we offered this guy a hundred US dollars to, to not only take us into downtown Baku, but to stay with us and then bring us back. So we end up at this club and we make this pact. Um, I wouldn't tell you the other two guys' names. We'll make this pact that we'll stay together and this guy stays together, we give him 100 bucks and he takes us back. 
And we make this plan. This club was absolutely one of the best clubs that you, that you could ever imagine. It was just fantastic. It was like this, this sort of like Aladdin's cave in there. It was just brilliant. And, and, and sure enough, within two minutes, we were completely, utterly separated. Can't find each other, wandering off. And I'll just never forget ending up at, and playing ping pong in a leisure centre with some pals, and, not pals, new pals, and and thinking, what, what, what's underneath? They, they, they laid out the red carpet. They took took you back to the hotel and they could not have been more welcoming. And that was like the, the, the template in a way for how these um, emerging nations in football mm. treated the English press and the England football team and in general, the English fans when you got to these places, you know, they were, we would read stories about it being inhospitable. We would, we would read stories about it being dangerous, but inevitably you go to places like Kazakhstan, like, 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 like Azerbaijan, and the, the welcome there was absolutely brilliant. But as you say, then the game itself, by the way, you go to the press box and obviously we are used to, we are spoiled by our facilities. But, you know, there's punters all over the seats, you know, and you're not mm. going up to these Azerbaijanian punters and saying, excuse me, sir, you know, you're in my seat there. I'd like to file some nice copy for the uh, Sunday Mirror. Could you please move? move well, you know, it's like, you know, and it was mm. absolutely raining. I remember my, I think it was Michael Owen. I think, as I say, normally as well, England find a way to win these games, don't they? Yeah. And I think they won 1-0. Um, I, I think it was 1-0. I remember it raining. It didn't stop raining. It didn't stop raining from the moment. We got there, John. It did not down stop raining. And it was <laughs> I remember sitting in this little shed on the stands. Yes. Do you remember? It was the right-hand side. No one scored there. I remember it vivid. Yeah. And, and, and you couldn't. And it was, as I say, it was just, you know, and, and it's, it, the ironic thing is the more sort of, um, how, should we, how should we put it? The more, um, I don't know, the more sensitive of our brigade. You know, I actually think they're going to go in there and they're going to have some, like, you know, some, some reclining seat with, 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 like, you know, power and, and Wi-Fi and sort of, it's like it's back. They haven't, they haven't, you know, hosted this type of thing before. Of course, now you would because, you know, this was just the beginning almost 20 years ago of their emergence onto the, onto the world sporting scene, you know, and they now yeah. host major, major events and they'll be a host at Euro, at the, for the Euro 2020. But it, it is, it's, it, it is, you know, then it was, well, you know, you just had to get by. And listen, let's face it, it wasn't really a hardship, was it? No. You went to Baku recently, didn't you, Crossy? Yeah, 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 yes. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, but also, yes. the Europa League trip, final. Europa you League final. You have to yeah. run, run across a six-lane highway. Yes, 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 I did. Yes, yes, that was, yeah, that was, that was interesting. Yes, running across a six lane highway, thanks to our travel agent. Um, uh, to, 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 get, yeah, to get a, to get a flight, to get a flight onto, uh, back to, yeah, the, the all sorts of bizarre places, the most ridiculous route to get on, uh, to fly onwards to the Champions League final, Madrid. Yeah. Wonderful few days when, when England, frankly, English football ruled, ruled, ruled Europe. Two, two Europa League finalists, two Champions League finalists. Wow. That, them were the days. Um, so, you know, yeah, great, great times. Great times. Guys, it's been great fun. Thanks so much for joining. I really, really enjoyed it, reminiscing about all sorts of stuff today. So, uh, uh, really good fun. Hope everyone watching has enjoyed it. And uh, be nice to see you same place, same time next week. <laughs>